Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Food School Smarter, Stronger, Leaner podcast on a mission to change the way the world eats. My name is Angela Sharina. I'm a certified nutritionist, health, nutrition, performance coach, and just someone with a lot, a lot of passion for food, nutrition, and helping you guys to learn how to use our everyday foods and everyday habits to feel, look, and do your absolute best. Guys, today is a very, very interesting episode. We're going to talk a little bit about fat loss and how one simple habit can make it much easier for you to lose fat and maintain lean body mass. And also we're going to talk about one very important for overall health, but also for our brain nutrient that I'm realizing a lot of people into healthy eating are not getting. Like you think people start eating better, you know, less and less processed foods, going more and more natural, natural salt, natural water, uh, natural this or that. And you think that everything should get better from there. But actually, it's not the case. Why it's not the case? Because our governments across the world, obviously, every government in each country has slightly different nutritional policies. By, but they quite some time ago figured out that nutrient deficiencies, simple nutrient deficiencies, can cause a lot, a lot of health problems. And people are notoriously bad at designing balanced diets. We don't have nutrition educa- education, so why would anyone be good at it? And so... A lot of nutrition policies created and implemented without your knowledge, actually. Um, A lot of those policies, they uh, decided they are created to add those essential nutrients into our food supply, uh, into food items that a lot of people seem to eat. For example, fortifying our flowers that bread is made of, or, you know, morning cereals that a lot of people fans of, or, for example, iodizing our salt to make sure that everyone gets their iodine, because if people don't get that, so many health problems can occur. And um, in different countries, politicians, you know, people who uh, design nutrition policies, they decide which fortification makes sense in their region? Like, what are the deficiencies that people seem to get more of? Why region matters? Because let's say you are like myself in San Mexico, you don't need vitamin D supplementation. I mean, unless you decide to live in a dungeon, you're going to get all your vitamin D year-round because it's sun year-round with a few days of rain here and there, right? And sometimes people ask, vitamin D supplementation is so expensive here. I'm like, why would you even consider that? You are in a sunny place where the sun is all year-round. You get it even if you don't want it, unless you cover yourself from head to toe and never take it off, right? So in different countries, different supplementation makes sense. Um, And then governments decide, okay, let's put some of those nutrients in the most consumed in a daily diet of a regular person items so they don't run into problems. And not so much, guys, for your, your benefit, but for the benefit of medical system. Because let's say, A lot of people get deficient in a lot of nutrients and they develop a lot of health problems. So it's a burden on healthcare system. 
Nobody wants more people in hospitals. It just, you know, besides your health problems, it's more money spent on healthcare. So nobody wants more sick people when things can be prevented by fortifying foods. And so government decided, yeah, we're going to fortify it. And nobody told you about that. A lot of people actually surprised to find out that a lot of commercial breads and pasta, pancake mixes, milks, and all kinds of products, they are all fortified with essential vitamins and minerals that seem to cause the most problems in any given population in any given region. You can even look if you buy bread or if you're just curious, just go to a regular supermarket like, I don't know, 7-Eleven or something similar and pick up a an average loaf of bread and see on the ingredient list, you're actually going to see vitamins and minerals. And sometimes they have different names like B2 vitamin, riboflavin, or B1 thiamine, right? The folate is actually B9 vitamin. So they all have different names. Um, but yeah, in the ingredient list, there are vitamins and minerals. And that's how actually you know that the food is fortified when the vitamins are mentioned on the ingredient list, not on the nutritional label. If vitamins and minerals are a part of whole foods, then on the ingredient list, you're not going to find vitamins and minerals. You might find it on nutrition labels. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, because there's also a bunch of um, guidelines about what you want to put, what you need to put on the nutritional um, label. And some things are optional. So some companies would put it there, some companies won't, right? So I always prefer to do my own research about specific brand or specific food in a specific country. It's quite complicated. But so the point was that, and then a lot of people started going natural, you know, no commercial bread. And I'm not saying you should eat commercial bread, but a good thing about all these commercially made items, they're actually fortified and a lot of natural stuff are not. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's better and a lot of vitamins and minerals are naturally occurring there. As we're going to talk about today about iodine, um, if you didn't know that, but commercially available salts in a lot of countries, they are fortified, so to speak, with iodine. The salt, usually you would see iodized salt. And it's iodized for a reason, guys, because iodine is very important for our health and our brain. And in the diet, there is a big chance that people are not going to get enough of it, right? And so when people go all natural, like, I'm going to eat Himalayan salt or natural sea salt. And sometimes companies also do iodine, so to speak, uh, their natural salts. But then again, it would say on the label, iodized sea salt. Naturally, sea salt, not iodized or Himalayan salt, they do not have sufficient amount of naturally occurring minerals. Some, but not nowhere near enough where the amount that we need. So let's talk, let's start talking about iodine because, you know, I already started this subject and let's talk about why it's important to have enough iodine. What foods have it naturally, why food is kind of complicated and what can you do about that to get your iodine consistently? Okay, so iodine is crucial to make thyroid hormone. Like, if you're deficient in iodine, your body is not going to be making sufficient thyroid hormone, hands down. And you can develop easily, if you're not consuming your iodine on a regular basis in sufficient amounts, hypothyroidism. And it can look like fatigue, brain fog, and poor memory, 
hair and eyelashes falling out, puffiness, especially in the face and under the eyes, feeling cold, especially in the hands and feet, constipation, gas, bloating, trouble digesting fatty foods, you know, uh, troubles meaning when you eat a lot of fatty foods, your stomach kind of like heavy and you don't feel good and your energy goes down immediately. Pain, tenderness or stiffness in the muscles, pain, stiffness or swelling in the joints, depression or mood problems, high cholesterol, absent regular or unusually heavy periods, breast pain, slowed heart rate, increased vulnerability to infections, uh, and enlarged thyroid gland called goiter. I think that's how you pronounce it. I actually had it when I was a kid, and then my parents made me eat a lot, a lot of seaweed that was disgusting at that time, by the way. And then I didn't have it when they checked me again. Since thyroid hormone is needed for brain cells, guys, listen carefully for those of you who are especially uh, motivated by learning about your brain performance. So since thyroid hormone is needed for brain cells called neurons to form and connect with one another, even mild hypothyroidism causes a potentially lifelong, potentially lifelong, guys, decrease in your IQ. When severe early hypothyroidism leads to cretinism involving mental retardation, poor growth, delayed sexual maturation, deafness, mutism, and stiffness or tightness of muscles. So that's what happens when you don't get enough iodine. And guys, I always try to emphasize that you might not develop these symptoms to a very acute level being inadequate in your iodine but not completely deficient but you might start suffering you know not so smart here more fatigued over there not that great at digesting healthy fats your cholesterol might be going up your i don't know periods if you're a woman a woman might be going all over the place your sex hormones might be all over the place your feet a lot of things that can make you unhappy and long term will really contribute to your you being not well so this is what happens with iodine deficiency again it's iodine is important for thyroid hormone and thyroid is one of the like major metabolic glands in our body and not having it working properly affects a lot of processes in the body, as you can see. So how much iodine do we need? Um, 150 micrograms, um, even, you know, up to 1000 micrograms, people consuming that, especially in food, seem to be, seem to be doing better. To overconsume it, you have to like overshoot by, you know, to 10,000. So if you supplement and eat, you know, natural foods that have iodine, that's not going to be a big deal at all for most people, of course. Now, where can you eat your iodine? The most reliable source is actually iodized salt. And that's when when you start eating all natural salts instead of commercially available, possibly iodized salt, you might deficient, you might start getting deficient in iodine. Besides salt, what also can be a great source of iodine, dairy products. Let's say you consume Greek yogurt, uh, an average portion, 150 milliliters or five ounces, will cover 
about 40% of your iodine. I personally, for calcium purposes, also probiotics eat 500 milliliters, and that will should cover my iodine um, needs, at least the basic ones, completely. But guys, with dairy products and most of the uh, animal land animal products, iodine getting iodine sufficiently and consistently might be tricky because iodine in those foods will depend on the iodine in the feed of that animal. Meaning, um, when, for example, a cow feeds on a soil that is deficient in iodine, it's not going to get its iodine in her dairy products, yogurt either. And so, in animal products, or for example, eggs, um, also quite an okay source of iodine kind of supplementing because one egg is about 20% of your iodine requirements. But again, if a chicken is not fed supplementational iodine or the foods that she eats like iodine, that egg will not have iodine. It's not magically appearing there. It's all about what chicken eats. And that's why commercially produced, not some all natural and grass-fed, etc., commercially produced cows and chickens, they are actually fat, iodized supplements, so you get it in your food. And so when you go all like farm land kind of animals, it's good, but you need to ask that farmer. Or maybe on their website, they specify that, you know, we feed our chickens, I don't know, this nutritional supplements so they get all the like vitamins and minerals. You can even probably reach out to the brand via their website and ask them like, do you supplement um, your chickens or cows food with iodine? So yogurt, quite good source. Again, 150 milliliters or, you know, one average portion, 40% on paper. We don't know, but you can find out. Uh, Eggs, one egg is about 20%. Uh, seafood is quite great source because sea is the most reliable source of iodine. Seaweed is exceptional source of iodine. Usually depends on the seaweed though. So if you eat, for example, kelp or wakame that are quite nice in salads, you need to actually look up either their nutritional label or look up, okay, kelp, seaweed, like how much iodine it has. Or you, if you consume things like chlorella, um, what's the other one? Like spirulina. Also, look at the label, nutritional label. Does it have sufficient iodine, right? Usually it would say percentage, but again, per day, 150 micrograms at least. And seafood, also because of that, because it comes from the sea, quite good source of iodine, but depends on the seafood product. Like mussels, for example, three ounces would cover your iodine completely. But if you take things like salmon, a good piece of salmon, is only about 10-15% of your iodine. Same goes for tuna. It depends on fish and shellfish usually much better source of iodine. But again, Google it. You know, if you like shrimp, shrimp, iodine iodine content. Or if you like oysters, there are quite good source of iodine. Also, oysters, iodine content. So um, that's uh, about food sources, right? Another think about healthy eating and iodine status. Try to eat your iodine-rich foods away from things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Maybe you eat broccoli or Brussels sprouts. Um, sprouts. <laughs> those actually, those vegetables contain anti-nutrients that prevent your digestive system from absorbing iodine. So try to eat your 
um, iodine-rich foods like maybe yogurt or maybe eggs away from a lot of cruciferous vegetables. So if you're not sure what vegetables are cruciferous, there is a whole list. Google, kale. Is it cruciferous vegetables or not? Yes, it is. Um, most cabbages are, right? So Google that. I personally, my practice, I take my multivitamin away from my meals rich in those vegetables for that specific reason and because those vegetables actually prevent our body from absorbing a lot of minerals. And so again, guys, so foods we just discussed, if you need to remember, re-listen, but you want to remember that if you are not sufficiently supplied with iodine, you'll start developing things like Fatigue because of lack of thyroid hormone, brain fog and poor memory, hair and eyelashes falling out, puffiness, especially in the face, feeling cold, especially in hands and feet, constipation, gas, trouble digesting fatty foods, pain uh, in muscles and joints, depression and mood problems, high cholesterol, irregular, unusually heavy absent periods, breast pain, slowed heart rate, increased vulnerability to infections. Uh, all of that stuff, you know, so iodine is quite important. And again, because thyroid hormone is so important for developing nerve cells and connections between them, between them, you can actually start lowering your IQ by not consuming sufficient amount of iodine. My personal practice, again, 500 milliliters of yogurt almost every day, and it doesn't matter whether I eat yogurt or not, I still supplement with 150 micrograms of that iodine in my multivitamin that I consume outside of eating vegetable meal, again, for the reason that some vegetables prevent absorbing minerals. I eat, you know, eggs and, and seafood and all these other different foods, but other than that, in supplements, for example, there is no iodine anywhere in my supplements, so I'm in quite a good place, uh, according to all the studies, all the nutritional science that out there, out there. And that's all about iodine. Again, if you need to listen to the information about foods and what kind of symptoms you can develop, then please do re-listen to this episode. And at the end of this episode, I'd like to touch upon cold exposure and fat loss. Cold exposure, guys, it changes our metabolism, the kind of fat that we carry. You know, there is white fat and there is brown fat that is actually metabolically much more active. It burns calories. It is designed to keep us uh warmer when we are cold, and that's why we develop more of it when we expose ourselves to cold, either naturally living in a colder climate um, or via cold showers or cold baths that are even better, or swimming in cold lakes, right? So we develop more brown fat that is metabolically active, that actually increases our metabolic rate, that actually uh, changes the way our white fat um, acts that also might change the way our um, hormones, like our metabolism works, uh, our neurotransmitters that are engaged, involved in fat burning process and in um, creating a certain metabolic furnace, so to speak, or a certain metabolic rate. Um, so that brown fat. And then back to cold exposure that again makes your body create more brown fat. Cold exposure uh, also changes some neurotransmitters like dopamine, the norepinephrine, that don't only make you more motivated, make you feel good, on fire, focus, help you to learn, to uh, go through challenges uh, when you are 
going after certain goals, right? They don't just do that. They actually make you more efficient at burning, burning fat for energy through different mechanisms that we are still researching and discovering as um, science society. So cold exposure. Um, I recently asked uh, Andrew Huberman, one of the most famous neuroscientist from Stanford and his podcast, Huberman Lab, where he talks about neuroscience applied to different aspects of human health and performance. So I asked him, would you legitimately use um, cold exposure, meaning cold showers or, again, swimming in cold lakes or taking cold baths? Would you use it as a legitimate fat loss tool? And he said yes. And I personally didn't have any doubts based on all the information I had, but I just wanted to double check. I always like to ask experts. And he he shortly said yes. And that because, again, of all this mechanism of uh, increasing the amount of brown fat that is metabolically active and increases your metabolism, um, the acute effects and l- more long-term effects of cold exposure in general, changing your neurotransmitters, changing your metabolic rate right after cold exposure. Uh, so cold exposure, it changes your metabolism uh, through neurotransmitters, through uh, hormonal pathways uh, through changing your body fat quality. Cold exposure, it can increase your metabolism short and long term uh, and also just change your uh, metabolic processes in a more fat loss um, beneficial way. So what I do and you know what Andrew Huberman recommends, cold shower, if you do cold shower or any cold exposure, at least 11 minutes per week, um, that means to get into some uncomfortably cold environment, be that cold shower. But they say that, um, from studies at least, the research has been done, it seems that submerging yourself into cold water, like what, what you would do in a bath or a lake for longer periods of time is more beneficial than cold shower because in cold shower, it's kind of, you're kind of in it, but kind of not. Uh, it's hard to study whether, you know, where temperature changes and how, but it still seemed to be beneficial. Um, so cold showers, 11 minutes or getting into cold bath or some cold lake for 11 minutes per week. You know, you might do it in one sitting or you might do it in several times. Um, if you're swimming in a pretty cold water, you know, maybe there is like a lake and in summer it's not that cold, but it's still kind of cold. Even 18, 20 degrees water staying there for a prolonged period of time. In studies, they made people stay there like for an hour. Your metabolic rate can increase up to like 300, 500%. That's a lot. Um, some of that is again short term, uh, that continues for several hours. And there are also a lot of again things that are changing long term, like your brown fat, for example. Um, for me, my personal practice, like right now for a couple of weeks, I didn't, I haven't had hot water in Mexico apartment. So I'm officially a penguin. Um, I've been taking only cold showers several times per day. All right. But usually what I would do is a couple of minutes in the morning, probably like a minute at night. So it would end up like I don't know, 20 minutes in a week from studies. It seems that 11 minutes is quite good for a lot of metabolic changes that will help you with fat loss, but also with recovery with more hormones like norepinephrine and uh, dopamine that improve your mental health and your mood and your motivation and your focus. Um, 
Cold exposure helps again with recovery after sports, uh, although not that great for building muscles. So don't expose yourself to too much cold right after your strength workout. Delay them in like four hours. Um, other than that, again, cold. If you're interested in long-term lean body mass, that is your thing. At first, it might become kind of uncomfortable, but then you'll get used to it and it almost becomes pleasurable. Also, because you produce dopamine and norepinephrine, it actually will become pleasurable, something that you crave, like ice cream. Well, maybe not exactly like ice cream, but similar uh, with the after effect of hormones that um, deliver that a little bit stress state, but good stress. And you're going to feel good and more motivated. And plus, you're going to stay leaner. That's probably going to give you additional boost of feeling good hormones, neurotransmitters, and all kinds of chemicals. And that's it for today, guys. Iodine. Where are you getting your iodine? That's the question I want you to answer today, right? And if you have no idea, reach out. I'll help you to figure that out. And then you need to figure out how to get in consistently. If you are someone with flexible lifestyle, you don't always know where your food comes from, you eat out a lot, and you really don't know what, what's in the food, then I highly recommend you to look into supplementation. It will make your things much, much easier, right? Um, so easy for iodine specifically. And the effects, you know, of sufficient iodine and insufficient when it comes to negative effects, they are very profound, especially for your brain performance. So where are you getting your iodine? And if you don't know, figure that out or simply start supplementing. Um, but with supplementation, again, just don't go out there and eat a lot of spirulina and chlorella and everything else on top of that supplements, you know, might be not necessary. And if you're interested in long-term lean body mass, then start loving those cold showers. Again, the beginning, quite uncomfortable. But with time, you're going to love it. I promise you, as a long-term cold uh, exposure practitioner. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for listening. That's it for today. A lot of talk about iodine, our food system, and how it works. You probably learned quite a lot about fortification of foods, about iodine, why it's important for your IQ and everything else, basically, from your energy levels to your beautiful hair, uh, fat loss and cold exposure. If you have any questions, reach out, share this episode with other people who might really, really need it. And as usual, guys, till next time, eat better daily and answer this question. Where are you getting your iodine?